Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. And I'm so excited to introduce you to the person who I'll be interviewing today. She has developed her voice into one of the strongest in the country, and we are going to get to her in just a second. But first, a few requests. Please subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download them. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Second, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing and want others to hear it too, a kind rating on iTunes is the best way to boost us in the rankings and search, so I kindly encourage that. And finally, a big, big announcement. My new book, The Solo Video Journalist, second edition, is now out wherever fine books are sold. The first edition sold so well as a how-to guide for the most in-demand job in local TV news, those who shoot and edit their own stories. It was picked up by college classes, it's been read around the world, and it sold so well that I was asked to write a second edition of the book, updated for all the changes that have hit our industry in the last few years. Now that book is here. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books. Well, one of the people who I interviewed for this second edition is the person who I'm uh, about to introduce you to now. She is an MMJ at WFAA in Dallas. She has skyrocketed up the ranks quite quickly. She was one of the organizers of this year's Women in Visual Journalism Workshop done through the NPPA. And she is just a standout journalist and a standout human. Tiffany Liu, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. What a nice introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, People tend to be surprised by my introductions. I never know what to make of that, but, uh, but I hope that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Good. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany, we interviewed, or I uh, interviewed you for the book about dominating on digital. That's actually not really what we're going to talk about tonight, though, because... You know, and, and you and I have gotten to know each other quite a bit this year. Uh, yeah. You spoke at the workshop that I produced for the NPPA, and obviously uh, I've been following your work for quite some time. And And I really think, you know, one thing the book does not cover is how to be an MMJ in a global pandemic. Right. <laughs> I finished writing the book and mm -hmm. uh, actually copy edited, copy edited the book just as the pandemic was getting underway, the COVID-19 pandemic here <laughs> uh, in the U.S. Three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the third edition coming out, date to be determined, will certainly cover all that. But the second edition really doesn't get into it. And, and I don't know that it needs to, because I think what I have found since the pandemic has started is that, first of all, I'm not shooting very much, unfortunately. I think we're all kind of been forced to retreat into a life of Zoom interviews for uh, for the large part. But when I do get out, I find that I am falling back on a lot of the techniques and time management skills and all of the things that I was doing in the first place, the tactics and techniques that are all in the book. So for me, the core of, of how I do my job hasn't really changed, but certainly a lot of the logistics have. So before we get into all of that, and we will get into all of that, you have such a, a fascinating story of how you even got into this business. And I know you, you've spoken at plenty of workshops, so probably many people listening have heard your story, but for those who haven't, how did you get here? Oh, wow. You want me to start from the beginning? <laughs> uh, well, it depends what the beginning is. Well, but I mean, you go ahead, yeah. 
I just don't have a typical start. You know, I didn't go to journalism school. I went to business school um, at Santa Clara University. And even when I graduated from college, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a journalist. And I had actually gotten an internship at the ABC station in San Francisco for the marketing department. So on the business side of things, and that's when it sort of piqued my interest. Um, After I graduated from college, I decided that, hey, I'm going to work full time in corporate marketing from nine to five. And then I'm going to get a job as an overnight assignment editor at the local station KTVU in the Bay Area. Um, So I worked midnight to 8 a.m. for that job. And I was exhausted, Matt. I mean, I worked so many hours, um, seven days a week, pretty much. I was exhausted and I would take naps in Target parking lots. And (laughs) that's when I really knew that this is what I wanted to do. Um, And I found a news director in West Monroe, Louisiana, who just took a leap of faith and said, hey, if you come to my station and produce three-hour morning show for me, um, I'll give you the opportunity to play with the camera, turn stories, and basically learn hands-on everything that people may have learned in journalism school. Um, He allowed me to do in that time in West Monroe, Louisiana. So yeah, this California girl who had never moved out of the Bay Area, packed her bags, and moved to West Monroe, Louisiana. And that is how I really (laughs) uh, kicked off my on-air career. Incredible. You know, I always think about when I interview people who come to this business from a unique place, I sort of relate to that in that I started on the sports side. So I was a sports anchor slash reporter at my first job, really Mm -hmm. didn't care to do news at all. And then it was only when I got to my second job in Buffalo that I started doing sports features and liking them so much and realizing that I, I wanted to do features about people who didn't necessarily just play a sport for a living. And so I kind of fell backward into being a news reporter. And I, because of that, I feel like I didn't necessarily get indoctrinated with a lot of the traditions, a lot of the so-called best practices that people get hardwired into their brain on, at their first and second jobs. And so I'm curious for you as someone who came from a completely different field, what were some things that you noticed when you started doing your job as a reporter that you were like, yeah, you know, everybody's doing it this way, but I don't necessarily know that that's the right way to do it. Hmm. Well, I will tell you when I first started, I had no idea what all these acronyms were. Like what's P-O-D? <laughs> what's a V-O-S-O-T? Like I had no idea what any of those things were. Um, but I don't know. I think just with my experience in a different industry, you know, I, I have really good time management. I did a lot of event planning um, in my corporate marketing job. And that almost helps me back time my day a little bit because, you know, we work on such a tight deadline. Everything's due by five or six o'clock. I'm a very scheduled person, so maybe that helps out with it. But I don't know. I just really learned everything on the job. I enjoyed it and still enjoy it every single day. It's exciting. Something new. Um, every day talk to different people. And so I think it suited my personality a lot better than my other job. <laughs> and uh, and obviously that was, I'm sure, a long drive to West Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah, and it was a, a lot of time, long... <laughs> probably a lot of time to contemplate the decision you were making. Yeah. When you got there and started 
doing this job, what were your initial reactions? Did you be like, oh my gosh, what, what have I done? Or were you like, this is exactly what I was hoping it would be and this is the right field for me? It was the right field for me. I think I knew that almost immediately. Um, you know, there were quest- times when I questioned my salary, um, but I was really <laughs> happy. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. Everyone knows what a first market journalist makes, especially, you know, as a producer. Um, but I never questioned, I never doubted my decision to leave and to try this this new career. I think when I when I left, I knew in my gut that it was the right thing and that this was a job for me and that this job can change lives and inform people and educate people. And that's exactly what I wanted. Now, you've worked at several uh, shops and are now at one of the best storytelling shops in the country at WFAA in Dallas. Talk about what have been some of the career highlights for you and some of the things that you know, you look back on already in your young career and are like, I'm so glad I got the chance to do this. I'm so glad I got the chance to tell this story, to make this pitch. What's on your list? Wow. Oh, well, the number one on my list is going to Haiti. Um, I was able to travel to Haiti when I was working in Oklahoma City at News 9. It's the CBS affiliate there owned by Griffin Communications. And I spent two years there. And I think almost toward, it was almost toward the end of my time in Oklahoma City. I had pitched a story to my news director about traveling to Haiti. And I, you know, I gave him the budget. This organized Tiffany Liu is like, here's the budget for it. Um, Here's all my story (laughs) pitches. And I can go alone. And, you know, I can solo in Haiti. I have all these great ideas. Um, And they said yes. And I had the opportunity to travel to Haiti to tell a story, localize it to Oklahoma City, and just go on this journey that really changed my perspective. It humbled me. Um, it was it was incredible. It was really the most memorable moment in my career. I remember you told me about this when I was interviewing you for the book because you you spoke about it as you know an example of how you kept in touch with your audience on digital while you were shooting this series in Haiti, and you know I, I think it is. I've interviewed a few people now who have taken the very bold step of asking for this kind of assignment. And I think a lot of people in their 20s working in a mid-market station wouldn't necessarily think to do that, that that would even be possible. What was it in your mind that said, I got to go for this? I figured that it doesn't hurt to ask, right? The worst thing they can say is no, and then you can try again and try again and maybe bug them until they let you go. (laughs) Luckily, I worked for a very understanding news director who actually saw the benefits of sending me to Haiti. And um, so for me, I kind of got, I think I got lucky because I worked for a really good station in Oklahoma City. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's no harm in asking, you know, they can say no, but then, then your news director knows, you know, this girl wants to do more or wants to tell bigger stories and and they'll think of you next time something big happens and maybe they do need to send somebody outside of the viewing area, you know. It, it doesn't hurt to ask is what I always tell myself. May as well just be bold and do it. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Telling the Story blog. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Tiffany Liu of WFAA in Dallas, MMJ extraordinaire and an interview subject of my new book, The Solo Video Journalist, second edition. Uh, one subject that is not in the book is being an MMJ during the time of COVID-19, but that's what I want to talk 
uh, with you about now, Tiffany. Um, we're six months into this. How has your life changed? Oh my goodness. I think my job, the process of it has just changed so much, you know, because we're so used to going out, shooting video, interviewing people in person, you know, hugging families, you know, they're welcoming you into their home to share their stories. And now it's like, can I do a Zoom interview with you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's hard. I, I miss people. I miss that face-to-face interaction. Um, we're lucky because we have Zoom in this day and age um, during COVID-19 and this pandemic. But yeah, it's definitely changed the process of my job a lot. There's a lot more heavy on the editing side, a lot less shooting like you were saying earlier. Um, yeah, I miss shooting. I miss I miss using my camera every single day. <laughs> How often do you get out in the field now? Ooh. Well, I didn't leave the house today. If that gives you an idea, I didn't leave the house today. Um, yeah, I don't, gosh, it's, it's, it's different every week because my company has pretty strict policies and, you know, we've had some people at our station get COVID-19 and we know how serious this can get. And so we've been rather careful. And so I actually have to ask permission when I want to go out and shoot an in-person interview. You know, we're still not allowed inside buildings, Um, so I'd say maybe I get out once or twice a week. Um, and that's about it. Otherwise I'm doing a lot of zoom interviews, a lot of heavy graphic editing and, um, and just outside generic building B roll. Yeah. I, I know the feeling. And it's funny because one of the things that I took notice of in your work before the pandemic was your, your ability and your your willingness to incorporate a lot of post-production into your storytelling. And I know for me, when the pandemic began and, and things were really cracked down, I mean, I, I don't think I shot my first interview for three, four months. I was struggling with, okay, so how am I going to both keep improving as a storyteller, but also tell the stories with power and, and emotion if I'm just doing Zoom interviews? And I started to lean on After Effects and really try to find nuanced ways to present video and graphics that wouldn't look gimmicky, but that would enhance the storytelling. What are some of the things that you've taken pride in in your storytelling over the last few months? Yeah, I think, you know, without the ability to shoot as much, there is more time left for writing. Um, So I've always tried to still think, how would I tell this story, you know, if I did have the visuals and what can I do with still photos and how can I make these still photos engaging so that it connects with the viewers as well. So you're right. I do use some After Effects. I use some Premiere Pro templates. Um, You know, I, I, I just have to try and think outside the box because it is difficult um, to make things creative when you can't shoot all these different angles and include all these fun nap pops in your story. It it makes it (laughs) difficult. Um, I've also started experimenting with music a little bit. Um, Yeah. 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 And music is one of the hardest things to select for your piece because you don't ever want to set a tone or a mood. You want the viewers to figure out how they feel on their own, but you do want a music or a song that can move the story forward. Right. So sometimes it takes me 30 minutes just to pick a song <laughs> for a story. <laughs> how, how would you say your approach to writing has changed since you do have a little more time? 
what would you say you're doing now that maybe you weren't doing as much before the pandemic? Hmm. That's a great question. You know, when people ask me how I write, I always have to think about it because I'm not really sure. Sometimes I just start writing and it just kind of comes <laughs> to me, I guess. Um, I think I leave more time for writing and I'm not afraid to delete the entire script and start all over again because maybe I didn't shoot an extra hour this morning. So I have that extra hour to refine my writing, um, you know, and so it gives me a little bit more time to kind of tweak things. And sometimes I'll have two versions of a script and then, you know, melt it together into one or <laughs> delete one entirely. And so, I mean, you should see when I write my scripts, if I just, if I just recorded that for you and put it on fast forward, it's like a crazy person writing a story. And I read it out loud a lot. So my husband hears every track before I even track it like a hundred times. Oh, gosh. Well, I can tell you that uh, you haven't lived until you've tried to track in between the bursts of sound from your two and a half year old toddler. That is uh, <laughs> that is my life in Atlanta, which is phenomenal. Like I will wait, you know, and wait until she's done. She'll she sings songs on her own and she's just like, you know, talking and talking. And then I just wait until she stops. And then I have like seven seconds to get one sentence right. And then oh, I got to wait for another minute. I have, I live really close to the airport and <laughs> and I, I'm on the top floor. And so it's really loud when it comes over my house. And so I, you'll hear me going three, two, one, ready to trek. And then I'll be like, hold on plane. And you hear <laughs> over every track. And then my dogs will be barking. Yeah. Working from home is great. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mentioned uh, my two and a half year old. I also have a six month old and uh, I love them so much. And they and being with them more has been amazing. That said, being a full time parent and full time reporter and having a partner who is also a full time parent and is working a full time job is, you know, it is one of the most simultaneously fulfilling and yet demanding and challenging parts of this whole thing. Everybody's got their story of how this pandemic has affected them and challenged them. I'm curious, what's been yours? Ooh, I think it's hard to stop working. I mean, I, I feel like I'm on my laptop until 10 p.m. Sometimes if I can't sleep, I'll just log back on and start looking at story ideas or, you know, I just... I feel like that's one thing I haven't been able to just kind of drop work, you know, not that I ever really did because I'm always looking at different things. But now that my computer is docked into my workstation at home and um, it is hard to balance that, like, when do I stop? When do I turn off social media? When do I turn off the news for a second and and just kind of let myself relax? Right. Because it's all mixed right now at home. So. I can mm -hmm. see what you're, yeah, it's, it's a little bit difficult to juggle that, especially as someone who's considered a workaholic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we both take such pride in getting to do the jobs that we get to do. Mm -hmm. And it is difficult when you feel like you can't quite reach that standard that you've set for yourself. And I know, you know, you obviously just planned a workshop. I planned a workshop about a month and a half before that. And you know, one of the common things that I heard from people who attended, I would imagine you heard the same, was just that frustration of just feeling like they're not, you know, people who get into this field are so passionate. And it is hard to feel like that passion is being 
fulfilled right now. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's very fair to say because you almost it almost feels like sometimes I feel like I'm in a lull, you know, because I'm not doing the full job that I've always done, which is go out every day and tell a fresh story with new B-roll. Um, yeah, so that's totally understandable. When we were doing the workshop, I asked uh, folks to send videos beforehand about, you know, what it's like, what this year has been like, and what it's like uh, specifically for your session, which was about being an MMJ, what it's like to be an MMJ during COVID-19. And you really mm -hmm. shocked me with what you said, which was talking about being an Asian American journalist and the just the insults and the racism that you faced, which um, if you're willing, I mean, just, you know, talk about how you've coped with that. And if that's something you're still coping with now, six months into this. Yeah, I mean, when <laughs> actually when I was recording that video for your workshop, I I didn't even really plan to say anything. It just kind of came out and I was like, all right, well, he can use it if he wants. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it, it bothers me. I do get some people that, you know, because of COVID-19, um, people will say, you know, I'm they'll just automatically call me racist things and, you know, say I'm from China, call me, I've been called a communist. I've, um, you know, been looked down upon for being Asian. And I mean, my heritage is something I'm very, very proud of. Um, so it does hurt. I do take it personally, um, even though I know I shouldn't because these are just keyboard bullies. Um, and so that's, that's been hard to cope with. Um, it was especially prevalent during COVID because I think before this, I've been in the business for, I'd say se almost seven years now on air. And I never really got, got it to this extent. I've gotten it more in the past few months than I have in my entire career. So that kind of struck me and it struck a chord, very sensitive, um, yeah. And so it hurts. Um, but I'm, you know, I talked to my managers about it, kind of learning how to deal with people on social media um, when they're trying to attack you for just being yourself. What is the coping strategy for something like that? And is it, I have to imagine it, it, it feels more personal when it is talking about your heritage and your yeah. culture. Well, it's the first thing I do is I look at who is commenting and sometimes I'll click around on their profile and figure out, oh, well, this is why. Because maybe they're not educated in culture or it with my race. Maybe they've never interacted with somebody like me before with my skin tone. Or, you know, I try to think of it in that perspective. But then sometimes I get really angry naturally just because I'm human. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. one thing that's really helped me is the block button. I just, I just kind of block people <laughs> now. If they bother me, I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. And I'll just... I'll just mute them or I'll block them if, if it, if it doesn't stop. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really wanted to ask you about, and you know, you, you just ran this workshop for women in visual journalism and it was a huge success. I, you know, it was unfortunately on the Jewish high holidays. So otherwise I would have been there, uh, or at least I virtually know. there. I didn't um, know. I totally apologize for that. I feel so terrible. <laughs> no, it's okay. But, um, when I went back afterwards and looked at all the, the, the hashtags and the social reaction, everybody was just buzzing about it and so thrilled. Um, I know this was, uh, you and Katie Eastman, uh, it was your first year in charge of this thing and have to do it virtually. 
um, I'm sure brought its own set of challenges. Talk about what were your takeaways from the workshop and the, the vibe that you got from the people who attended. Yeah, I think the workshop went really well. And it was it was me, it was Katie Eastman, and we also had Julia Robinson, and she really helped us with um, the still photographer side of things because we had both stills and video um, journalists there for this workshop. Um, so I think we had such a good mix. You know, in the beginning, I asked people, what's your background? And we had a lot of students. Um, we had a lot of first market journalists. And then we also had some seasoned journalists and some people who have been in the business for 10 plus years. And so we had such a great mix. I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, and people were just so engaged in the conversation. They were asking questions, plugging things in the chat box. And so I was really happy and, and proud of the way that it turned out. I was, yeah, I was extremely happy with it. So I'm going to ask like the ignorant male question right now, which <laughs> is, you know, we've, we've talked about what it's like to be an MMJ in 2020 and how that has changed. What is it like to be a female MMJ in 2020? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I think uh, we are so proud to be MMJs is what we call ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and our, our little slogan is uh, shoot better than the boys, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we feel empowered in 2020 to do things that maybe people don't expect us to do. You know, the number one question that I'm asked when I'm out in the field and I'm shooting a story is, hey, where's your photographer? You know, they expect this like big burly dude to be next to me holding a big camera. Um, and, you know, I go, no, I'm the photographer and then I'm the editor. And so you better cooperate <laughs> because I'm telling the story. No. And so <laughs> it's just, it's just uh, I think we we do feel more empowered and there's so many female MMJs now that we feel like we have, um, it's going really well. You know, I think uh, being a female MMJ in 2020 is a good thing. Um, and I always, that's why whenever I see, for example, at the workshop that there are so many young female journalists out there who want to be great storytellers, um, it makes me so happy. And I just, I can't wait to mentor them because, um, that's what we need. We need great journalists now in 2020. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I wrote the first edition of the book, it's one of the things that I am most proud of, maybe the proudest uh, achievement in my career. But where I felt it failed was that I really the gender balance was not what it should have been. And when it came time to do this edition, that was one of the first things when my publisher asked, you know, what's new? You know, what how would you update it? And I'd be like, well, the first thing I would do is basically equal out the gender balance. And that's what happened. And in this second edition, there's eight male and eight female solo video journalists wow. or uh, either current or pre uh, former solo video journalists. That has now become one of the things that I'm most proud of with this edition. And there are now, I feel like so many of the classic barriers of storytelling have been broken down in very real ways. And not just in terms of TV storytelling where the gear has gotten lighter and, you know, people are getting trained at an early age and photography is not just seen as a man's thing to do. But also, I just think the opportunities and the work that's being done in the digital space and at, you know, at newspapers that are churning out video and their willingness to just ignore some of the, you know, previous 
quote, traditions or, you know, the ways things are done and who should be doing them has been such a huge benefit to the business. And, and I think, you know, when I look at how the MMJ world has changed in the last four years, I definitely see that female MMJs are so much more empowered now. And this is from, you know, the outside. Mm -hmm. But to me, it just seems like there is such a strong community there. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I, I just, uh, you know, for too long, I feel like just the image of, of who an MMJ is has been just so far off compared to who MMJs actually are. And I'm so glad now that there are voices and there is a community and there are people speaking up regularly for issues of importance to female MMJs. I just think it is such a huge boon to not just the broadcast video industry, but the entire world of journalism. Yeah. And, you know, we have that group, um, MM Jane on Facebook that Sarah Blake Morgan started and it's mm -hmm. really a supportive uh, group. You know, we people post stories and we give each other feedback. Um, people ask for advice. I mean, I've never really seen an, a Facebook group that's so uplifting with almost 6,000 members. I mean, it's just, it's good to have a community. And, you know, I almost wish I had something like that when I started in the business six to seven years ago, because um, it's easy to find mentors that way. And, um, and that really does help move your career along when you have somebody, you know, guiding you and giving you advice and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good time for us right now. This is the Telling the Story blog. I am Matt Pearl. She is Tiffany Liu of WFAA in Dallas, and we're talking all things MMJ. Tiffany is one of 16 MMJs, current or former, interviewed in my new book, The Solo Video Journalist, Second Edition. Uh, Tiffany, the last section of this podcast is typically an advice section for younger journalists, and you know, I wanted to kind of piggyback off of what you were just saying about mentorship and you know, taking people under your wing. What are some of the pieces of advice you find yourself most giving to people just coming up in the business? Oh, wow. Well, I, the first thing is, you know, just try, just try. I mean, that's what I did to get started was I tried so hard and I gave up a lot of things for this career because I knew it was worth it for me. And this is a job where you have to be so passionate about it because if you're not, it's just, it's not going to work out. And, you know, we see, you know how it is. We go into our first and second markets and you see some people leave the business. Um, but at the end of the day, like when you wake up that next morning, you want to feel that same passion that you do. Um, and I still feel that same passion that I did from the first day I, I started my first on-air job. Um, so I would say, I mean, I feel like I'm going everywhere with this. I'm not really <laughs> sure if this makes sense. <laughs> but just, you know, stay passionate and keep trying hard and, and never stop learning because I feel like I have so much to learn from all these different incredible journalists out there. Um, and, and that's what makes this job so exciting every day. You learn something new. Let me narrow the focus a little bit on that question then. You specifically for you as someone who started in a completely different industry and decided to make the leap. For someone who might not be in the journalism field right now but is contemplating making a leap, what would your advice be as far as when you know and how to approach it? Yeah, I mean, I really had to ask myself am I happy because I it was so hard to quit my corporate marketing job. I mean, I, 
I, you know, I really liked my coworkers. I had a stable income. I was home in California with my family and my friends that I love, but something was missing. And you know when something is missing. And so when I took that leap of faith and I moved to West Monroe, Louisiana for that producing opportunity and maybe I get to turn some stories if I if I do a good job as a producer um I didn't I didn't doubt it at all sure my parents did they asked me a million times are you sure this is what you want to do um but when I packed my bags I was so excited to go and I was so excited to try it and when I got there you really can't compare West Monroe Louisiana to San Francisco but I loved it I mean I I mean I enjoyed my short time there and I made every minute count. And I think, you know, that's when I really knew, like, yes, I want to be a storyteller. Like, producing was fun, but I want to be, you know, turning packages every day and editing stories and shooting and, and talking to people. And and it just, it's in your gut. I think you'll you'll know when you know. Like, I've never once doubted changing my career. Awesome. Well, Tiffany, you are, are so good at it, and it is always a pleasure to watch your work. It is always a pleasure to speak with you, and thank you for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad you're doing this podcast, and congratulations on your book, the second edition. Thank you. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, I forgot to ask the most important question, uh, hmm. which is the question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview, which is, is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Oh boy, put me on the spot. <laughs> Come on, you know you've asked that question hundreds I, of times. Oh yeah, I ask that question every day to people that I interview, whether it's Zoom or in person. <laughs> um, I would just say if you know there are any young journalists who are listening out there who need somebody to talk to or a mentor and you're not you're not sure who to reach out to, um reach out to me because I still reach out to the people that have given me advice over the years and they have been just, you know, so important in my career and my growth as a journalist. And so um, I'm happy to be there for, you know, people who need, you know, a shoulder to lean on or, you know, or whatever. Um, <laughs> and also just um, our jobs are so important right now. Um, I think, that's the one thing that COVID really just clarified for me. Like I've always known that our job is important and we're truth seekers and we're storytellers, but right now there's so much going on in the world that people need facts for, and that's what we're here to do. Um, and so I, I just say, be proud of being a journalist and, and don't let anyone tear you down. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, I'm glad I asked. And thank you again for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist, Second Edition. Thank you to Jazar for the theme music. Thanks to Tiffany Liu for joining me as my guest. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.